I think that, you know, if we're going to talk about what it looks like for God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, let's put it this way. If it's not in heaven, it shouldn't be on earth and it shouldn't be in our business. Live your faith, build your business, and change your world. This is Live, Build, Change. Well, if you've been listening to the Live, Build, Change podcast for any length of time, you know that this is a different sort of episode because I typically have not done interviews. I have just been kind of laying the groundwork with some of the things that have come across my plate as an entrepreneur and a a regular guy turned entrepreneur. And I've intentionally been slow about bringing others into the podcast, partly for that reason, but also because I wanted to make sure that people that I bring to you are, first of all, genuine, spirit-led believers who are on the track for the right reasons. And thirdly, just because I want to, I want to know these people and I want to know that they're people you can trust. And today with the first interview is one of those people. Paul Moore is a guy that I've met in the last four months, probably over the internet initially by being on his podcast called how to lose money, which is (laughs) right. There is a great marketing ploy already, Paul, just having that name for the podcast, but Paul, welcome to live, build change. Oh, it's great to be here, Carrie. Thanks so much for having me on board. It's a real honor. The honor is mine all the way. Now, Paul is a entrepreneur's entrepreneur in my mind. He's a businessman. He has started and, and successfully run many businesses. He also has his own failure stories, and now he is working as a real estate investor. So Paul's got a lot to bring to the table today as we discuss what it means to live your faith authentically, to build a business, and to use those two in an integrated way to change the world. So, Paul, I would appreciate if you could just tell us uh, where you started out. It was in Ford Motor Company, isn't that right? Right. I got an engineering degree, and then I decided I wasn't an engineer, and so I went on and got an MBA, and then I went to Ford Motor Company uh, to their uh, operations logistics headquarters in Detroit, and I worked there for about five years, and I loved Ford. But it was probably a bad sign that in the first year of working there, that even though I really enjoyed it, I tried to start two or three businesses on the side. And uh, (laughs) so anyway, about five years into working at Ford, I launched out with a business partner who was also a believer. He was an ORU grad and an Ohio State grad. And uh, so we went and started our own business, a staffing firm. We ran that for about five years together. I was a finalist for Michigan Entrepreneur of the Year twice in that time and then sold the company to a publicly traded firm in 1997. So that's where I got my start in the entrepreneurial world. I can totally relate to that thing of, you know, trying to start things while you're working somewhere else. I think my brother is the one who said it to me first, that he doesn't make a good employee because not because he is slacks on the work, but just because he's so busy trying to figure out other things that have come to his mind. I totally relate to that. Now, Paul, um, in your journey, both as a believer and as a businessman, I would love to hear the role that you see faith playing in everything from deciding what kind of business you're going to start to how you integrate your faith into the practice of business on a day-to-day level. Well, Kerry, you know, you might be asking the wrong guy in some ways because I spent, I've been a believer for about 32 years and I spent about the first 28 of that 32 years with a huge problem. And the problem was right between my ears. 
I believed that as a businessman, I was inferior to those in ministry. I, I, I had this guilt thing. Like I would tell people, yeah, someday, someday I'll be godly enough and maybe be like an elder in a church and or maybe a, a pastor or maybe an evangelistic leader in my church or maybe even someday a missionary. And I didn't realize that whole time, those decades, that every believer is in full-time ministry. And I don't know where I picked that up. Some people blame the Catholic Church. Some people blame the Reformed, the Reform, Reformation you know, Church. But I blame myself. I think now that everything is spiritual. I was drafted into full-time ministry the day I became a Christian. And so, everything I've done and everything I have an opportunity to do is spiritual. I don't think that business people should be relegated to, you know, counting the uh, offerings and passing the plate and putting their own money in the plate on Sunday to support the real ministry that's inside a church. I, I actually believe that, you know, everything we do in business is uh, a spiritual thing. And we have, you know, as business people, we have a chance to touch people in the workplace, to touch way more unbelievers than any pastor I've talked to. And so, that, if I would could go back 30 years, that thinking would have informed everything I've done. In fact, one of the reasons we sold my first company in 1997 was so I could go and try to be a missionary to China, which didn't work out. God had other plans for me. But um, uh, at any rate, uh, that is the thinking that would, you know, that faith-driven motive now would have driven my thinking. And I wish it had all those years. And I, yeah. I'm trying to spare my kids and people in my church that same thinking. Yeah. I mean, speaking as a retired pastor, I understand that thinking. And it's one of the things I, I tried to wrangle people out of thinking for much of my ministry because the church is the people. The ministry of the church happens through the people and not the pastors. Pastors actually are there to serve and equip others for ministry, Ephesians 4 says. So if you're listening right now and you tend to have the mindset that Paul was describing that he had, hey, please understand that. You are just as capable and just as equipped for ministry, whatever that looks like in your particular world as a pastor is. You may not be preaching. You may not be doing evangelism out on the streets like an evangelist might or a Billy Graham in a, in a big coliseum. But man, you are just as equipped. So, Paul, thanks for bringing that up. So, as you made that switch in your mindset and you began seeing this impacts my business and the way I do business – Tell me some of the significant things that started to happen in your life because of that. So we have a business now where we buy apartments and we uh, pull together investors to invest in those apartments. And I don't know what I would have thought in my previous mindset, but now I truly believe that not only the opportunity to give returns to the investors is important, but I also see you know the opportunity of really making the apartments, a mission field as part of uh, the importance of what I'm doing. So we truly want to bless the tenants. So for one, for example, we're going to be putting a so-called missionary or chaplain on site at every apartment complex we buy from now on. And this person will be sort of a liaison between the tenants and the management. Somebody that can, people can call if they need, you know, their car broke down, they need a ride to the shop or their kid needs a, a ride to school or, or somebody in their family's sick. They realize that, hey, here's somebody who'll pray for the sick and actually 
actually believe that God would heal the sick. And so, that person would be, uh, that is something we really want to do. Now, we really believe this is a win-win, you know, for the investors in our company, uh, for us and our family, for the tenants in the apartment, for the management, for all the staff, and ultimately, as somebody who believes in funding kingdom purposes, we want to use a lot of our profits to fight human trafficking and to rescue its victims and also to reach unreached people groups in the world. So those are some of the things that are on our heart and how that's uh, shaped my thinking more recently in more recent years. Man, Paul, you can't see me here, but I'm almost hopping up and down in my chair as you're talking about this. You and I know we've talked about this. I, I was working on converting a motel room here in my little community into some micro apartments and the whole thing kind of fell through because real estate costs are so expensive right now. But I had never thought about putting a ministry minded oriented person on site in the community for the sake of the community. That is a brilliant idea. Was your thinking that that would come from the actual profits, you would actually salary this person and you would you would give them a mission, kind of like a job description to carry out there? Yeah, what we're doing is we're giving them a free apartment. So that's worth, you know, something like eight or nine hundred dollars a month. We were looking for a couple and it could be two single guys or two single ladies, but, you know, usually a, a married couple. And then we would be giving them these assignments. We'd be giving them a budget of, let's say, three or four hundred dollars a month to do fun activities at the community. And then we may be, uh, depending on the situation, we may be paying them a small amount as well on top of that. This is not a brand new idea. There's a um, Campus Crusade uh, crew has launched uh, something called Apartment Life. So they don't just reach out to campuses, as everybody knows now. They also reach out to apartment complexes. And this Apartment Life, it's called the CARES program. They have statistics to prove that uh, it increases the profitability, the satisfaction, the tenant retention. Uh, all kinds of great things have come out of this. So, it should pay for itself. But I'll tell you this, Carrie, even if it doesn't, we're going to do it because this is the right thing to do. Amen. Uh, do you know that only 5 or 10% of people, according to what I've read, from apartments attend church now? So we think this is a huge mission opportunity. And so we're going to do it and we're going to trust God for the outcome. That's exciting because that's exactly what I believe the Lord put on my heart when I started thinking about this live, build, change philosophy. And obviously, I'm not the first one to think of this. So that means God is stirring up something here on a broader scale. But living out our faith means that we can intentionally build things into our businesses that will change the world. And in this circumstance, you're talking about changing the world of tenants in an apartment building that you run for profit. But you're using that profit to actually minister back to those tenants. That's just an incredible way of looking at it. And I so appreciate you sharing that sort of perspective. Let's think about who might be listening. I know there are likely a lot of people who either are already running a business of their own of some sort and feel like they're either not doing a good job of it or they haven't known how to leverage that into greater kingdom purposes. Or there are people listening who probably are working a nine to five and would like to be able to have more income to generate for kingdom purposes. Speak to those issues as much as you feel you're able, maybe both scenarios. How would you advise people in each of those things to start thinking and praying toward those ends? Well, I want to take a moment to talk to employees. You don't have to be the CEO. 
You don't have to be the school board president. You don't have to be the president of the United States to affect change in your culture. In fact, look in the Bible. Some of the biggest change makers were people like Joseph. He wasn't Pharaoh, but he had Pharaoh's ear. Uh, also Daniel, he wasn't the, you know, he wasn't the uh, king, but he had Nebuchadnezzar's ear. Think about Esther. She had the king's ear. So I believe that for employees or for people who are, don't own the company, they have an incredible opportunity. And that opportunity is to trust God and to pray for opportunities to speak into the corporate culture. There are so many examples of this. One example is a guy who went to his workplace and he was just praying every day for opportunities to speak to the employees. One day, his boss, the owner of the company, an unbelieving Jewish atheist guy, walks by and he said he had a horrible splitting headache. And this guy was a little nervous, but he said, I'm going to do it. So he walks over and says, hey, I'm a Christian. Can I pray for you? And the guy's like, uh, <clears throat> okay. And so he prays for the guy, lays his hand on his shoulder, and just a simple prayer, and the guy's completely healed. Now, this unbelieving Jewish boss goes around the office and starts telling everybody, hey, go to Joe whenever you're sick. He'll pray for you, and God will heal you. And <laughs> so he did it. this. Well, the next thing he knows, they're at this big corporate event in Las Vegas, and this guy, this company has set up a zip line for all of their clients. And so Joe's there and the boss is there and there's this huge, huge storm moving right toward the area. And the zip line owner said, for insurance purposes, liability, we got to shut this down. I mean, look at that storm that's coming. And the owner of the company, the unbelieving Jewish boss, goes over and says, hold on, hold on. Hey, Joe, come here. And he announces to everybody, Joe in my office here, he prays and God listens. He's going to pray and that storm's going to go the other direction. Go ahead, Joe. <laughs> and Joe's like, um, <clears throat> hold on. And he goes around the corner and he texts like three or four of his best friends and he says, please pray. This is crazy. And so anyway, somebody texts back, I'm praying for a dome of protection right over the zip line. Well, anyway, he goes out and he prays. And the next thing you know, there's like this, the storm clouds kind of divided and they went to the left and the right of where they were. And the zip line never got any storm. It never had to be shut down. And the amazing thing is the atheist Jewish boss wasn't a bit surprised. And he tells all the customers, yeah, this is, uh, this is Joe and he prayed and you know, we're going to keep going here. And now think about this. That's a fun story. Who is the CEO, the owner of this company? Who's he going to go to next time he has a big problem in his company? He might go to Joe and seek his wisdom. He might trust Joe to advise him. And Joe might have an impact on that company, even though he's far from being the owner. So if you're an employee, or if you're not the owner of the company, or if you are an owner of a company, but you're serving larger companies or a larger government or school or other organization, you can have an impact. God can use you. And so that's the first thing I want to say in answer to your question. I forgot yeah. the rest of the question. Though. Yeah, that's great. Well, I, I have something to say. I'll, I'll give you the second half of the question in just a minute. But I, I was laughing there in the middle of the story because my youngest son just led us as a family through Daniel chapter six, where it's about Daniel and the lion's den about, about a week ago. And at the end of that story, the exact same thing happens. King Darius issues this proclamation to the entire kingdom saying, Daniel's God is the God you should call on. He's a God who answers prayer. He shut the mouth of the lions. I mean, the same sort of thing that that Jewish 
CEO of the company did is what Darius did. And it was all because of Daniel's faithfulness. So there is biblical precedent for this. Now, Paul, I have to ask you, this is a story you know personally. I mean, you know Joe in this story, correct? I don't, but I know the guy who does know him. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So, you know, you hear these kind of stories all the time and you go, yeah, yeah, well, that's anecdotal. How do we really know? I'm telling you folks, Paul is a trustworthy guy and he wouldn't tell the story if it were not true. So I want you to just take that as the same thing we take as these biblical stories like Daniel. It is an example of God working in today's world through one man's faithfulness. And I so appreciate you sharing that, Paul. Now, the second half of my question was for the one who might be a business owner, you know, maybe he's got a small mom and pop shop or is doing some kind of brick and mortar business. And they're not exactly sure how does this impact the kingdom? How can I begin doing this maybe in a different way that would be better used to impact the kingdom? Well, I think one way is to um, dedicate a certain portion of your profits to a something you're really passionate about, something God's led you to. When we were getting ready to sell our company in 1997, we had about a five-month runway to from the time we knew we were going to sell till we sold. And so, I basically dedicated to the Lord. I said, okay, any new clients we get are going to add X to the sale price. And the, the number was pretty large, that X was. And so, I said, I'm going to dedicate, I think it was 50% of any of those Xs that we add and I'm going to put, I'm going to give a certain amount to this and a certain amount to that and a certain amount to the other organization. And so I was able to really bless organizations that I was passionate about at the time, places like the Bible League and others. And so that's one thing you can do. You can dedicate a portion of your profit to the Lord, but dedicate your future profit to the Lord. Another thing is I was, so I had about $2 million in the bank when we sold our company in 1997. And let me tell you how I grew that, Carrie. 10 I'd years later, in 2007, after investing in a lot of real estate stuff, I was $2.5 million in debt. And it was all covered by real estate I had invested, but you know, the market was tanking. And it was now late 2007. Everything was going downhill. I thought to myself, what would George Mueller do? George Mueller had a lot to say to marketing people, business people, not just pastors, not just orphanage owners and leaders. But uh, George Mueller had all kinds of advice for business people. He wrote yeah, now let's pause broadly. for a second, Paul. Let's pause for a second. Yeah, Make sure everybody should. knows who George Mueller is. George Mueller was a pastor over in England, Scotland, over in that area. And he had this calling to start orphanages. And and if you have not read the autobiography of George Mueller, you should do that. He was a man of faith who felt God was using his life to demonstrate what God would do for those who dared trust him in faith. So that's the context. That's who George Mueller is. And by the way, that is a great question, Paul. You know, what would George do? Maybe we should make up bracelets (laughs) or something. So go ahead, Paul. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So George Mueller, he was passionate about orphans, but he was more passionate for the glory of God. He wanted to show people, entrepreneurs he knew, and other people working in in jobs that they said they didn't have time to come to church. They didn't have time to read their Bible. They didn't have time to do anything. And he said, you know, God can be trusted with your time, with your money, with your family. And he proved it by, he basically raised what we've heard is about $180 million in U.S. dollars in today's dollars. Now, this was back from 19, or excuse me, 1830 to about 1890. And um, 
and he and he took care of a total of uh, I think it was ten thousand orphans during that time. But anyway, I felt like God led me to ask, what would George Mueller do? And our back was against the wall. We were two and a half million dollars in debt. Real estate was continuing to tank. And my partner about that time, who was a partner in about $860,000 of that debt, uh, quit. He said, I'm sorry, I can't continue to pay this huge monthly interest payment. Uh, as of two months from now, uh, I'm out. And so I was really, uh, my back was against the wall. And I felt like George Mueller, if he would have ever been in debt, by the way, as you know, he wouldn't have been. But if he yeah, would have been in all. debt, <laughs> he would have given his way out of debt. So I told, I called the family together and two or three close friends who were really concerned about me. And <laughs> they were more concerned after I told them that we're going to give our way out of debt. And I said, I don't know if God will come through. He may or he may not. But whether he does or not, I'm going to trust him, and we're going to start giving a set amount per week as if we're making half a million dollars a year. So you can do the math on that. So we started giving that set amount per week to our church, to some nonprofits we loved, and that was January 1st, 2008. Well, around January 28th, four weeks later, I was in a coffee shop, uh, actually a Subway restaurant, excuse me. And I met a real estate developer there. Now, I knew the guy, and I knew he had a great reputation, and I told him my problem. And he goes, oh, you ought to do this. And he explained to me something I could do to subdivide a parcel of property into a small subdivision. I said, well, that won't work. I already tried that. He said, well, there's a law that says this. Why don't you consider that? And again, I'm trying not to get into too much detail. And two days later, I was meeting with the county planning and zoning people, showing them how their law could be read in the opposite way it was intended to actually allow me to subdivide my property. And the lady just shook her head. She goes, I can't believe this. In all these years, no one has thought of this. Yeah, you're right. It actually could be read that way, and you can do that. Because, I I, I mean, I didn't want to do it sneakily. I wanted to show her what I was going to do. So I did that. And there was still a lot of toil, a lot of pain, a lot of prayer, a lot of struggle. But 13 months later, Carrie, we were debt-free. It was amazing. That is a wonderful, wonderful story. I just love how not only trusting the Lord and determining in your heart to be generous, even though you didn't know how to be generous, you know, how it was going to work, that along with just thinking outside the box with the with the creativity and and you know, uh, intuition that God gives us as human beings made in his image. That's just a wonderful story. I think that's as good as the zipline thunderstorm story myself. I mean, that, that, that's incredible. I just love that. I really appreciate that. But I, I do want to leave a caveat here. I really think you need to be led by the Lord. I felt like the Lord spoke to me very clearly, and I could tell you the details of that. But I don't think that's for everybody because, you know, the truth is being that deeply in debt to give a certain amount per week, I was basically going deeper into debt, you know? And so yeah. I don't know that that is an all-time thing that everybody should try every time. I don't know that it would work if I did it again without being led by the Lord. So I just wanted to throw that out. Well, I totally appreciate that because I think that is in the spirit of George Mueller. I mean, in, in his autobiography, he says that he does not prescribe what he did for everyone. He believes God led him directly to that. So it's very much in the same spirit. And I appreciate you sharing that. So, Paul, I want to encourage our brothers and sisters who are listening because, you know, I was talking to a young guy the other day. He's in his late 20s, not married, but he's just really struggling. He's struggling to establish some sort of a career or some kind of a business path. And he's the kind of guy who's wired such that he wouldn't make a good employee either. He just has too many ideas as he's working and that he wants to pursue. 
And so I would like to speak to those individuals for a moment about how do you even get started? I mean, you want to establish something you feel like you should, but you just have too many ideas or you have too many possibilities. How do you decide where to begin? Well, I think that God leads us through our passions. You know, I used to to try to crucify the resurrected man. I used to think, let's say I was praying and I was praying about my business and I, I've had my back against the wall in business many, many times. And I'd be praying about it and then I'd get this idea pop into my head and I would try to set it, shut it down. I'm, I'm trying to be spiritual here. Get that out of my mind. But sometimes God leads us through that. Did you know that the founder of Matthew's Bows, Matt McPherson, he got the idea for a completely different kind of compound bow, and any bow hunter knows this. He got it through a vision from God, literally a vision. He quickly copied it down, and he went and got a patent on this uh, solo cam bow. And now it's the most successful archery uh, company in the world. But I would just really ask God, and just uh, again, going back to the first point we talked about, all life is spiritual. We are in full-time ministry, and I would just ask, you know, tell your friend to assume God wants to lead you in your business just as much as it would lead Billy Graham as an evangelist or a pastor to to come up with a sermon, and, and maybe even more, because we, again, we have solutions that the world needs as business people. So, basically, trust, I would tell people, trust God and assume He's going to lead you to speak to you, follow your passions. My son had all kinds of ideas for what he wanted to do with his life. But when he started following his passions, which were really unconventional, like farming, you know, I mean, how and there's not many 16-year-olds who really want to go into farming or forestry. And you know the story of my son with forestry. He started following that, and virtually nobody his age is in that. And uh, in fact, everybody he talked to except one guy told him what he wanted to do was impossible. And he started following that passion, and now he's making a lot of money as a 24-year-old um, doing things that he loved. And I think God led that. So, that's what I would say. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that we've got to make this a spiritual exercise just like we would praying about an ill family member or a financial need that someone in the family might have or a missionary who's across the seas being persecuted. I mean, prayer undergirds so much of the Christian life in this seeking God to guide us is part of that prayer. I don't want to play that down or underestimate that at all because it's essential. And sometimes it takes time, doesn't it? You don't hear from God right away. And I think he's He's testing our faith in a sense, not because he wants to know what we're going to do, but he wants us to learn the lesson that perseverance actually pays off. That's absolutely true. And I, you know, I think about Jesus and, and he said, you know, on earth as it is in heaven, but have we really thought about what that means? I mean, think about it. there's no sickness in heaven. There's no death. There's no sin. But you know what? There's also no bad employees. There's no bankruptcies in business. I think God wants to bring the culture of heaven to our businesses. There's no poverty either. I, I spent years thinking poverty was a virtue. But, you know, uh, this may be controversial, Carrie, but generally in the Bible, uh, poverty is considered a curse. So, I think that, you know, if we're going to talk about what it looks like for God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven— Let's put it this way. If it's not in heaven, it shouldn't be on earth and it shouldn't be in our business. So, I would challenge people to think, what would it look like if my business was in heaven? 
How would I be as an employee? How would I treat my employees if I was a boss? I think that's what it looks like for the kingdom of heaven to invade earth. Think about it. If every Christian ran their business like that, how much of the world we could impact, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That reminds me of something my wife and I were speaking about about an hour ago or two hours ago before we got on this call. And we had just received a newsletter from Samaritan's Purse. And a lot of the work that they're doing right now, this is November 1st. 2017 and some things that have happened in our nation just recently, you know, these hurricanes just came through the Southeast part of the United States and just devastated, not just the United States, but also some of the, the Island nations that are out there in the Caribbean and Samaritan's purse is showing all these pictures of the work they're doing out there and all of the needs that are still very pressing for the people that live there. And my wife and I were discussing, we want to continue praying that God would flourish our business efforts so that not only we can go out there and help physically, just us personally, but so that we can also be confident that we're going to be able to send X amount of dollars to Samaritan's purse until this crisis is over. Those are the kind of things God's putting on our hearts. And I want to encourage listeners. That's really what I'm trying to communicate with live, build, change. You have the opportunity to live your faith. And that doesn't just mean having quiet times and prayer times and going to Bible studies at church. That means living it out. Like James says, faith without works is dead. So putting your faith into action. And part of that action for some of you may be building a side business or building a full-time business for the sake of prospering it to the point you can support causes like Samaritan's Purse or like the Bible League that Paul mentioned or like human trafficking. And Paul, I know you're really excited about the things that your business is going to be able to accomplish for the sake of getting people out of human trafficking. Why don't you talk to us about that? Build a little vision into us out of what God has built into you. Thanks for asking, because this is a great opportunity to talk about what we want to do here. A lot of your listeners are probably aware of Tom's Shoes, but uh, for the few who are not, I actually wasn't until about a year ago. Tom's Shoes was started by a guy who was raised in a Christian home. Not sure where he's at with that now, but um, he got this idea that, hey, every pair of shoes I sell in the U.S., I'm going to donate a pair of shoes to a child in a third world country. Now, if you buy a pair of Tom's Shoes, they're pretty pricey, but they're they're nice, you know, 70 or $80 perhaps. You know that you don't have to share your shoes with the child in the third world country. That wouldn't make sense. But you know the company is going to take money out of their profits to donate to buy those shoes for that child. So what we decide to do as an apartment company, we call it apartment syndication, we're telling our investor, our large investors, we're saying, hey, if you want to invest with us, we're going to give you a great return on your investment. You don't have to share your investment, your profits with anybody else, but we're going to take money. We're going to basically take money out of our corporate profits that are tied to your investment. We're going to take money out of there and we're going to donate it to something that you are passionate about. So if the investor comes to us and they're really passionate about the certain human trafficking organization, like the one I really like in Kansas City, Exodus Cry. They might say, hey, I really like that. And we say, yeah, I like that too. So let's say they uh, invest $100,000 and they make, let's say, $100,000 profit over five or six years from that investment. Well, we're going to make maybe $30,000 during that time as well from that hundred. 
Does that make sense? So tied to their investment. And so we yeah. may take a third of that and donate it to Exodus Cry, something mm. that we both, the investor and us, are passionate about. So that's what we're doing. There are so many ways to set up a business with that mindset. Once you think through it, I was at a conference the other day where a pharmaceutical company was uh, selling uh, high-priced drugs for a neuro uh I'm saying it wrong, but anyway, brain patients in the U.S., they're making a large profit, but they were donating a huge percent, like 49% of their profit, to provide those same exact drugs to third-world countries that had absolutely no access to those. So it's a, it was a beautiful thing. Yeah, and to me, these are larger-scale ideas that need to inspire those of us who feel like we're the little guys to think bigger. Our God is in the heavens and he yes. does all that he pleases. Yes. Nothing is impossible for him. So why would we limit him by our own sense of inadequacy or our own sense of, of lack of training or skill? I mean, we all have wonderfully this God-given thing called a brain. We can learn, we can grow, we can figure out how to do things. That's my new mantra, Paul, is FIO. Figure it out, man. I mean, yes. there's no reason being creative image bearers of God, we can't figure out how to bless this world through the efforts we put into even a five-hour-a-week business. I mean, you may think that's a small amount of money that might be generated, but you'd be surprised once you get some things established, the amount of money that could really generate in our internet age. And I just want to encourage people, think outside that tiny little box that you and perhaps your religious background has placed you in and think bigger because God is bigger. I absolutely agree. And can I speak to that real quick? Do it. <laughs> think of who in our culture has thought bigger than almost anyone. We could think of several people, but Bill Gates, look at how, I mean, look, he is operating on 25% of your capacity, Carrie. 25%. He's got yeah. one out of the four big things you have. Number one, he was made in God's image, just like you. And he has maximized that. I mean, his brain, his creativity, his dreaming, he's made in God's image, but so are you. Number two, you, Carrie, have Christ in you, the hope of glory. Far as I know, Bill doesn't. So, you've got one up on him. Number three, you've got the mind of Christ. As far as I know, Bill doesn't. Number four, you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. God is inside of you. So, if Bill Gates could accomplish all he's accomplished in the last 30 or 40 years, unencumbered by the religious view, like you mentioned a minute ago, unencumbered by the church's view that ministry is inside the four walls of the church, and if he's dreamed that big and done that much, how much more can you, with the same made in the image of God like him, but with all these other benefits. You, you're, uh, I'm talking to all the listeners, dream big, believe God for big things, and then watch what he does. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that, Paul. I appreciate you saying it that way because it's, it's good to have a tangible example in mind when we think about these things. And I don't remember where I said it or what episode I said it on, but I once referred to the Holy Spirit as the Christ follower's secret weapon when it comes to business. Because we truly do have the God of the universe indwelling us to lead us in business endeavors. And I hope that doesn't strike a listener as a sullied way of thinking about it because it's a business thing and it's about profit. I'm here to tell you, God uses all things together for good. He works all things together, business included. And for good stewards who have a heart 
that is attuned to listen to his voice, I can't imagine the things he wants to pour through those people, to channel through them, to do his work in the world. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Paul, I wanted to talk here a little bit as we're nearing the end of our time about real estate in general. That really is where I met Paul. I've been doing some investigating into purchasing some properties for rentals, uh, getting invested. I mentioned the the micro apartment idea I had here in my town. And that really was motivated by God stirring in my heart about some problems we have here in our little tourist town. And all of that led me to connecting with Paul and his podcast in discovering he's a real estate investor. And Paul has been so generous with his time to guide me, to counsel me, to look over numbers on some possible deals and and to give me his wisdom from the experience he's had. And so, Paul, first of all, I want to publicly thank you for that. Uh, That's been a wonderful blessing in my life. But I wanted to get this idea of real estate investing out on the table as a possible way that some of the listeners might begin building this side income that we're talking about. And for the people that I think are probably listening to the show at this point. There's there's two, maybe you'd call them profiles that I think they may fall under. One is a person who has a small amount of cash available, maybe $30,000, maybe $40,000. And they would be open to investing in some kind of a passive real estate income thing, or possibly even using that to purchase some what they call buy and hold real estate, which means you buy it, you rent it out, you derive cash flow from that. So Paul, with your experience in real estate, can you speak to those two scenarios and how might a person think about that first of all? And then secondly, how might they get started? Sure. So a lot of people follow a path that's somewhat similar to this. Um, I, I'm a writer on Bigger Pockets, and there's a lot of articles on biggerpockets.com about this type of scenario. But a lot of people start with flipping a house. and They might go buy a house. they get a mortgage on it, they might put 30000 of their own money down, buy a house for, say, 100000 fix it up, stage it. I always want to throw that in because it's really important for marketing and uh, professional photography to, to stage your home. And then- Yeah, now hang on a second. What do you mean by stage it? That's probably an industry term. Yeah. So basically, get a professional person. It could be you know somebody in your family, like a a wife. My wife, you know, is really oriented this way. But to go in and get beautiful furnishings to put in it, to photograph it, uh, and to show it to the potential buyers, furnished or at least very you know partially furnished, so it it looks like a home that they could call home. Yeah. Okay. um, So I recommend doing that. And then you can sell the house, make a profit, and then rinse and repeat. Now, a lot of people go from that to wanting to do buy and hold. And so what a friend of mine does, and I've done this dozens of times with him, I'm not doing it anymore, would be to buy homes from HUD or on the courthouse steps that would be at a deep discount. Maybe you could buy that same house for $35,000 put another 20000 into it. Now he's got, say, 60000 ish into a home that's worth, let's say, a hundred. But he can rent that house out for maybe 700 a month. As soon as he gets a renter, go to the bank, refinance it, pull all of his invested cash out. So again, let's say he had uh, 30000 of his own money into it. Now he can get a loan for perhaps $75,000 and actually put cash back in his pocket, but now have a $700 a month uh, you know, income stream 
that's gross, of course. He has to pay the interest and the, the debt and the taxes and the insurance. But maybe that person would net $300 a month out of that and then go do that again 10 times. And now you've got a you know $3,000 monthly income. Yeah. Now, okay. Let me pause there for a second and have you address an objection that I can hear ringing in my ears. If someone hears that and says, yeah, that's all well and good, but I don't believe in taking on debt. You just talked about getting a loan for this investment property. Well, that's debt. How can you justify that biblically? Well, another way, I don't know that I want to get into that discussion uh, right now. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I can see both sides of that. And maybe it'd be better if you uh, discuss that biblically. But um, I believe I mean, there's, there's certainly a lot. Here I go after I said I wouldn't do it. Uh, there's certainly a lot of scriptures uh, speaking to that topic. And I personally don't believe that the oh man, no, oh, no man anything except to love one another. I, I think that's actually out, a little out of context. Yeah. But um, that's my opinion. But another way to do it is to take equity. You know, find a partner who will put up the money for it. And that's actually what I did when I said I had done it dozens of times. I had put up the money, my friend did the work, and we were 50-50 partners. So that's another way to do it with no debt. And then the equity partner is put, taking the risk if everything goes totally south. And I actually know one that did. I know a house that burned down before they had the insurance. Oh, um, my goodness. Yeah, it was bad. But uh, anyway, so there is risk. But uh, then there's no debt in that case. So yeah, okay. that's another way to do it. Okay, so continue on. You were about to go into uh, an additional scenario. Well, a lot of people who do that, then they have, let's say, 10 or 20 houses. They get really frustrated managing it themselves. So they either find a third party to manage it, and they pay them a pretty good percentage of their monthly income. But they're still building up, uh, you know, they're still paying down the debt, and they're still building up a, a retirement property that can be used long term, uh, you know, to, um, to fund their retirement. So they use a property manager, and then sometimes they get frustrated with that, and they say, forget it, I'd rather be a passive investor. So they sell all those houses, hopefully not at a fire sale price, and then they go invest either actively or more likely passively with a company like ours who puts together, uh, pools together, say, 20 or 30 or 40 investors into one large group, and then we go out and buy large apartments. We run those through a property management firm. And then the person ends up just getting a check in the mail with incredible tax advantages, by the way. That's another way to do it. Now, some people might just skip all those, those two intermediate steps and just go straight to investing passively with a larger investment. And a place to do that now is um, a place you can invest a small amount to try this out would be with a crowdfunding company. Uh, companies like uh, Realty Shares or Fundrise or Patch of Land, uh, they allow you to invest, I'm not sure, but I think ten dollars or $20,000 in some cases in their large investments. And it's a great way to try it out. Are those platforms a thing where it's a long-term commitment or are those shorter-term commitments for things like funding a house flip or funding you know, a renovation or something like that? They have both. Like, so I'm thinking hmm. of Realty Mogul and, and CrowdStreet that you can actually, if you're a house flipper, you can go and borrow. You can put your little house project on there, let's say a $100,000 project, and they'll actually, uh, the equity will come in. People will invest, let's say, five or 10000 at a time into your house deal, and you pay them off and move on to the next thing. But so that's a real short term type thing. That's typically a six to 12 month project. The apartments on there might be a three to six year project where you're committing for about three to six years, for example. Okay. 
Yeah, that makes sense to me. Let me turn the corner here for a moment and ask kind of a philosophical question that I know you have an opinion about. But why would someone consider getting involved in real estate as opposed to starting a brick and mortar business of some kind or, you know, trying to start an online product sales business or things like that? I know that they're not necessarily one better than the other in every case, but I would just love to hear your perspective on that. Why have you chosen real estate? Well, I also, I've done a lot of other things along the way that I didn't mention. Uh, you did mention my podcast, How to Lose Money. And I did that a lot uh, with experience. I invested in an oil and gas business. And when they didn't hit oil, guess what? My value of my shares was exactly zero. I also invested in and actually co-founded a wireless internet company. And uh, a lot of uh, us were involved in that for about five years. And my uh, profit and actually the value of my shares was exactly zero when it was done. But remember my story about how when I was two and a half million dollars in debt? Yeah. One of the reasons I was able to pay that off was not because I somehow earned this huge income. I actually was able to sell my real estate. I had about nine or 10 properties at the time. And plus that subdivision that I was able to sell five lots out of. It was, a, like I said, a small subdivision. But when I was able to sell all that, I was actually right side up again. And so real estate has that benefit of always being tangible. It's real property. It's not like being an angel investor in a high-tech business where you might make a 1,000% profit, but you might lose it all. At my age, I'm in my 50s, Carrie, and I don't really want to expose myself to those wonderfully high potential returns, but also those very high risks that could also mean zero in the end. Uh, real estate, uh, especially rental real estate now, the uh, demographics have shifted in the U.S. And we could talk about this for a long time, but the bottom line is uh, home ownership has dropped from 69% to 63% on average in the U.S. And every drop is about a million new renters. And so that has happened just in the last uh, 12 years. Yeah. And it looks like that trend's going to continue. There's all kinds of reasons, including immigration, baby boomers moving into rentals, millennials who don't even want to rent, even if they had, even if they weren't deeply in student debt and could rent and could own a home, a lot of them, 54% right now, choose to rent anyway. I mean, why yeah. tie yourself down to a 30-year contract on a seemingly overpriced house when you might have new friends or new job opportunities across town or across the country next year? So mm -hmm. they don't want to be tied down. And so rental property in America is evergreen. It's always going to be needed. It's growing. And um, it looks like for decades to come, it's going to be a great business to be in. Yeah. And I might tie back to something we talked about near the beginning of this conversation. If you are a landlord, which by the way, Paul, I don't think I've told you this, but I have some some things in the works to be a landlord by the end of this year, at least be closing on a property by then. But if you are a landlord, you have the opportunity to bless a family by providing a great place for them to live, by providing something affordable that fits their budget, by putting them into a better situation than perhaps they were in before. I mean, there's all kinds of opportunities for that investment that does pay you a cash flow every month to also benefit the people on the other end. And in a free enterprise economy, that's the way it's supposed to be, that they exchange their money freely for what you're providing to them. You value the money more, they value the property more, you both win. That's what this is supposed to be about. Now, Paul, let me ask you, 
when it comes to this kind of thing, you mentioned bigger pockets. That is a real estate forum on the internet, by the way. That is a very valuable resource. Where are some other places people could go to learn about real estate investing? Well, there are several good podcasts. Uh, Michael Blanc, it's spelled B-L-A-N-K, has a great podcast on this. Uh, a guy named Joe Fairless has the best real estate advice ever. Jake and Gino, uh, you can just look them up. They have a good podcast. Uh, Bill Manicero has the Old Dogs Real Estate Investing Network. A guy named Reed Goosens has a great podcast. So podcasts are an incredible way to learn a lot about real estate. There's also some great books, some uh, audio books out there. A lot of people have heard about Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, I can't tell you how many people I interact with on Bigger Pockets who started by reading that book. And so there's just a lot of great resources. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's what got me thinking about the difference between assets and liabilities and the need to build assets and why it's so important. So anyway, I don't know that it's launched me into real estate investing, but it got me thinking about my income in a different way. So I appreciate those resources, Paul. Now tell us as we wrap up here, what do you want us to know about you or what do you feel the Lord would have my listeners know about you and what you're doing? Well, like I mentioned already, we are pulling together a lot of investors to invest in apartments and we're trying to use the profits to impact the world. I have a goal of somehow or another, talk about a big, crazy goal of the Lord using me to fund a billion dollars into reaching unreached people groups and fighting human trafficking in my lifetime. And honestly, that is a that sounds like an enormous number, but like you said before, God's a big, big God. And it doesn't mean I have to you know, just like I talked to employees earlier and said, you don't have to own the company to have an impact. I don't have to make a billion dollars or more to donate a billion. I might be able to, I'm in a position where I can interact with people who are, you know, in a position to donate yeah. money like that. Yeah, and influence. I fully intend and believe that God will use me to do that in my lifetime. Uh, it's a big task we have uh, to bring heaven to earth and to make, you know, this earth look like heaven. And it's going to take a lot more than just a billion dollars. And, you know, if I had the faith, I'd probably believe for 10 billion, maybe I should. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, uh, talk about that. Paul and I email back and forth now and then to encourage each other. So maybe I'll, uh, I'll keep that in the back of my mind and challenge you on that a little bit later, Paul. So let's just wrap up here, Paul, if you don't mind with a word of prayer, I believe that this conversation could be very instrumental in the lives of many people who hear it over the years. And so one of the things I love about podcasting is that as long as I continue to pay my media host fees, this audio is going to be available for years to come. And there may be people 10 years from now who hear this and God uses it to spark some great movement in them. And that's my prayer for this whole live, build, change thing that I'm doing and for the effect that that you're sharing in it today will have on the lives of, of the people who hear. So let me lead in prayer, Paul. And, and if you feel led to jump in at any point, please feel free. You bet. Father, I am grateful for Paul's experience and what you've done in his life. I'm thankful for his willingness to share that so openly and to share it with such passion and a sense of challenge because we need challenge, God. We get so complacent and so comfortable in our lives and don't realize, sadly, that there is a world out there that's lost and is in need of the Savior, and that we are not little players in that game. Right. You have placed us into your kingdom for the purpose of doing good works that you prepared in advance for us to do. So, Lord, expand our faith. Expand the faith of those listening. 
and enable Paul and I to be instrumental in that through this audio recording. We pray that you would ordain that and, and anoint this recording to be a blessing to people for years to come. And I pray that you would bless Paul, that you would guide him in how to accomplish that great big goal that you've given him and even expand his vision, cause him to see even more that you want to do through him, that he can uh, take part in that with joy and step out in faith in the places where it's scary so that you and you alone get great glory and bring all the world to yourself as a result. Uh, Yes, Lord, I just thank you for Carrie and thank you for this audience. And Lord, I just... I know that you're waiting for us to access your counsel to apply heaven's solutions to earth and to, mm-hmm. to, to make the earth look like heaven. So I just pray right now that, that the listeners would do that. I pray that we would access your counsel, that we would believe big, that we would dream big. Uh, Lord Jesus, I thank you that what you demonstrate in, in healing broken bodies on earth, we can also use to heal businesses, to heal communities and nations. And we just pray, Lord God, that you know, America seems to be and the world seems to be in a especially high degree of turmoil right now. We just pray, Lord, that the church would rise up, that business people would rise up with solutions to problems, solutions to fix businesses and communities and technology and ideas that would just change the world and give us an opportunity to bring social justice in the name of Jesus. And we just pray, Lord, that you would just help us to know the authority and the power and the wisdom you've given us to heal the six systems in this world, in government and in culture and in media and everything else. And Lord, we just pray that you would just bless us to be like Joseph or Daniel or Esther, to uh, rise up as deliverers, to to grow companies, to save nations, and to show the world what it looks like for a man or woman with God living inside them to operate in the sphere God's given us. So, Lord, we just pray that you would, I just pray for inventors and innovators and entrepreneurs who are listening or those who will become that. And we just pray, Lord, uh, Carrie and I join together and just say, Lord, in Jesus' name, let it happen. And I pray that history would be made by people listening to this podcast right now and that cultures would be changed. And we just pray all this in the name of Jesus. So be it, Lord. Amen. Paul, you are a great friend and a mentor to me. I appreciate it so much. And thank you for being a part of what God's doing through Live, Build, Change. Oh, the pleasure's all mine. The honor's mine. Thank you so much, Carrie. It was great to be here. Thanks so much for listening to Live, Build, Change. As a way to say thank you for investing your time in this podcast and the things that are going on at livebuildchange.com, I want to invite you to come to the website and get a free copy of my compilation book called Entrepreneur Mind Hacks. This is a book where I pull together a bunch of hotshot entrepreneurs to give their tips, their mind hacks, their approaches You'll find mindsets, you'll find practical approaches, you'll find productivity tips all inside this full-length book. It's over 200 pages. And like I said, these tips and tricks are from hard-learned experience from entrepreneurs who are really doing the work and have had to overcome the same struggles and mindsets that we all face. You can go right to livebuildchange.com. See, there's a place there where you can enter your email and have the ebook mailed directly to you. It's Entrepreneur Mind Hacks. Go and grab it.